Well, it's raining outside apparently, so we'll just hope that that doesn't get worse so you can hear me. Um, So, you know, some things never really change. Uh, One of those things that doesn't really change is school lunchrooms. Uh, From the time that you're a kid to the time you're in college and the time in between in high school, uh, college lunchrooms don't change or school lunchrooms don't change a whole lot. Um, When it comes to food quality, there's not a huge difference between the mystery meat of high school and like the mystery meat of college. Everything's just kind of gray. All of it is just one color. That's kind of my, uh, my critique of Moe's. I'm a Chipotle guy. That's my critique of Moe's. Everything's gray. And so you have to douse it in uh, hot cheese to change the color. So, uh, and to moisten it up because it's dry. That's kind of uh, the food quality uh, of calves, right? Lunchrooms. Uh, but another thing that doesn't change about lunchrooms is uh, the, uh, how you notice how everyone's sitting. Right, you've got groups of people sitting in their little areas. Right, you, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to offend anybody. But you know what I'm talking about. You walk in, and there's just certain places you don't sit. Right, because there's little affinity groups everywhere. Right, you know, and so you you might sit in the wrong place your first week, your freshman year, and then you never do that again. Uh, you kind of figure it out. Those groups are really just based off of. Uh, affinities, various things you have in common, preferences that you would align with. And uh, the, the thing about it is, though, is that's fine and well. You know, you, it's easy to hang out with people that you like and that you want to hang out with. Uh, the problem is, though, is, is that kind of lunchroom mentality can exist even in the church, um, even in this room right here. Um, there, there can be a, a little affinity groups that form based off of Purely, I'm going to have to keep getting louder and louder as I start yelling at you guys, uh, which that, that might be kind of fun, actually. Um, we get these, these little affinity groups within the church based off of purely preference, okay? And that's a problem because there should be something more spectacular about the body of Christ, the community of faith, than that. And so, uh, so that's what we're looking at tonight. The, the passage that Logan read for us is kind of at the back end. We're looking at a large chunk uh, of, of Romans tonight. We're looking at Romans 14, beginning all the way through about the middle of 15. We're not going to read all of it and cover all of it. We just don't have time to do that. Um, but I want to hit the high points. And so this is kind of where, this is where we're going. So we want to look at uh, what is the problem? What's the wrong answer? What's the right answer? And how can we do it? So what's the problem? What's the right answer? What's the right answer? Sorry, what's the wrong answer? What's the right answer? And how can we do it? So, um, so I want to draw your attention to pull back from where Logan just read uh, to the beginning of chapter 14. The beginning of chapter 14 says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. So right off the bat, uh, we've got a couple of, of interesting things going on here. We've got uh, Paul calling some group of people weak, which doesn't sound like the nicest thing to do. I mean, not necessarily a compliment. I mean, it's not the most derogatory thing you could say to somebody, but it's definitely not like a compliment. Uh, so he's calling somebody weak, and he's saying, don't, uh, don't wrestle, don't fight over opinions. So I'm going to hit both of those. So what does he mean when he says opinions? What is he talking about there? And what does he mean when he's talking about the weak? So opinions. Um, he's not talking here just about general debates um, over things you might just disagree about. What he's 
specifically getting at is um, matters of conscience. Things that would cause this anxious internal debate. Like you're not, it's something that you, you, you don't know if it's right or if it's wrong. Um, and, and these things come specifically from things that uh, aren't clear in Scripture, either just aren't mentioned in Scripture at all, maybe just not commanded um, or not prohibited. And so we're, we're just left with kind of question marks and we kind of have to just weigh it out and think it through and, and figure it out. And, but we know that there's, there's consequences on either side. And so there's this kind of anxious internal debate in our conscience. So that's what he's talking about when he's talking about don't fight over opinions, preferences, things that aren't explicitly clear in Scripture. And so he refers to one group as weak. Uh, In the passage that Logan read for us, he refers to the other group, the strong, so the weak. The weak, they are the weak in faith. It's, It's the weak when it comes to a preference, a gray issue, the weak in faith are those that err on the side of caution. Let's say, okay, so I'm not quite sure what to do here, so I'm just going to say no, just to be safe. Then we'll come to see that the strong say, well, you know, we, we have freedom in Christ. He has freed us to, to make, he's made all things clean for us. And so, therefore, we have a liberty. So we've got the weak and the strong now, what is the particular dividing issue, this preference issue at hand for them? Uh, he lists two, but the one that he mainly uh, is getting at that's, that's present here in the Roman church, we see in verses uh, two and also three. Verse two says this, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So... Uh, so now that all my vegetarian friends in the house are feeling condemned because the Apostle Paul just laid the smack down on you because now you're weak. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. He, this, the context is a little bit different then than it was now. Uh, what he's talking about there is, is really the issue of clean and unclean food. So in the Roman church, you've got these two different, uh, two different groups of people, really, within the church. You've got Christians that have come from a Jewish background with all the traditions and all the religious um, background from that and heritage. And you've also got these Christians that come from a Greek background, which um, is very unreligious, pagan. And so um, part of the, the Jewish heritage from the Old Testament law is that certain foods are clean and certain foods are unclean. And so really the idea there with, uh, with clean and unclean food is that um, the reason that those laws were given in the first place is really for two reasons. One is because it reminded, it was to remind Israel that, hey, you are a select, special, set-apart, holy people amongst the nations. And so this is kind of, this is something you can do to remind yourself of that. that you're not going to eat um, the things that just everybody eats. But then there was also this designation of clean and unclean foods to, um, to remind them that there is a preparation a purification that's necessary to come into the presence of God. And so when they would come into the temple, they had to be cleansed, they had to be purified to do that. And so part of doing that was eating only clean foods and abstaining from unclean foods. So then fast forward to the New Testament, and we see 
a number of places where uh, the New Testament's really clear that all food is clean. Paul even talks about that later in this chapter. He says, I'm persuaded that th- there's no such thing as clean and unclean food anymore. Why? Because the, the clean rules and laws of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Christ. Um, Christ now purifies us. Christ now cleanses us so that we can freely come into the presence of God. And, and so what we eat doesn't, doesn't affect that. It, it's whether or not are we in Christ, have we trusted in him to where he is now covering us, that we are hidden in him. That is how we are cleansed and purified. And the, the, uh, the clean and unclean laws about food were a shadow of this reality of which we now partake of. And so he's saying that, that that issue is not at hand. Now, for us, that I, as far as I know, I don't know of anyone here from a Jewish background. There might be, uh, but probably not. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're with the strong, technically, on this one. We're thinking, you know, yeah, that's, of course that's not an issue. Like, Jesus fulfilled the clean and unclean laws, and so there we go. We can just, not a problem to eat um, whatever meat that we would like. But Paul's saying, you know, but... There, were, there was a whole entire half of this congregation that came from a Jewish background that, yeah, they had trusted in Christ. They, they really had trusted in him. They, they weren't saying, they weren't like the Judaizers in Galatians, which Paul rails against. He, he says, these guys, I mean, these guys need to get out of town. I mean, because they're saying, if you eat unclean food, you cannot be saved. This group is just saying simply, I don't think for myself I can partake in eating unclean food. So there's a difference there. And so he's saying not to quarrel with them and to welcome them. Now what's interesting though is, is this isn't the only place that, that Paul talks about clean, uh, or I'm sorry, strong and weak in faith. He also talks in 1 Corinthians 8 about uh, one group being strong in faith and one being weak. And there it also pertains to the eating of meat. But there it's switched. Here the weak are those with the Jewish background who say, who abstain. And the strong are the Greeks who say, it's, yeah, I can eat whatever, it doesn't matter. But in 1 Corinthians 8, it is the Greeks who are weak when it comes to eating meat. The meat that he's talking about there is Meat that has been offered to idols. So, um, so in these pagan uh, temples and these uh, Greek areas, they would be blessed by these pagan priests. And so there was this kind of stigma among these Christians who came from Greek backgrounds of like, I don't know if I can eat this meat that's been offered to an idol because there's just this stigma with it. And I just don't know if I want to go there. But then you've got the Jews who are like, well... There's only one God. Those gods aren't real in the first place. So what's the problem with eating meat offered to, uh, to an idol? So what we see here is it's not just, it's not just as clear as, as one group is always strong and one group is always weak. One group always errs on the side of caution when it comes to preference and one always sides on the, on the, on the side of liberty when it comes to oppression um, or preference. So we what we have to realize is that each of us is strong in faith in some ways, but also weak in faith in some ways. And in that respect, we actually need each other. 
we need each other to, to see uh, the implications of the gospel more clearly. That, that really, this is what it's coming down to. It's saying, what are the implications of the gospel when it comes to these things that aren't clear in Scripture? And so here, the Jews need the Greeks to tell them, no, you're free. You're free from that. But in 1 Corinthians 8, it was the Greeks who needed the Jews to say, no, the, those idols don't they're not real. They don't represent real gods. And so it's totally fine to eat that. It, it's fine. But there's really an underlying issue here that we see in the next verse, in verse 3, that says this, let no one, or let not the one who despises, or who eats, despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. So there's an underlying issue here at hand. There's an issue of finding significance in performance. Each of these groups is finding significance in their performance. So you've got the strong despising the weak. They're saying, um, you know, I'm open-minded. I see, I see the situation as it is. I see that, um, that I'm free to eat this that I'm free to not observe the Sabbath. My thoughts are elevated above yours. My open-mindedness gives me significance over and above you. It validates me and it invalidates you. But then on the other hand, the weak, they don't despise the strong. Rather, what they do is they condemn the strong. They look at the strong and they say, uh, your your open-mindedness is just it shows your lack of taking seriously the the law of God and what it means to follow Jesus. You're you're too loose, and so they condemn them. Um, but all the while, the 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 strong are looking down on the weak and saying, "Why don't you get it? Why 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 haven't why hasn't the implications of the gospel sunken in deep enough for you to, to get this and to not err on the side of caution?" Really, this is this is really coming down to an issue of comparison of which we all do in various ways, but specifically in relation to spiritual, religious things, and we even do that. We do and don't do certain things, and because of that, we look down our nose at those who do the opposite, and we either despise them or we judge them. This is how we derive a sense of acceptability and credibility and validity from our performance by saying either, I'm open-minded, or by saying, I'm conservative. I, I watch what I do with my life. Either one of those. We, we, we use that to puff ourselves up and to push others down. And we make these rules. That's really what's happening here. There, there's these, these rules being made out of things that aren't rules. That's, that's the thing. We, we, we can take preferences and turn them into hard and fast rules and then hold them against others We end up keeping them. They end up failing them. They're then invalidated and we are validated. So the problem is that we we, we make rules out of things that aren't rules because we crave. We crave this need to be validated. Made credible. So that's the problem. That's the problem that we see here. And that is the problem that can so easily rise up in our community of faith as well. So then what's, what's the answer? Well, first I want to look at the wrong answer. What's, what's not the right answer? 
So what we see here is this open-mindedness and this narrow-mindedness when it comes to issues of preference. So when I just say those two, which do you like more? You probably like the open-mindedness more than narrow-mindedness. I don't know too many uh, Westerners who would say that they would prefer narrow-mindedness over open-mindedness, broad-mindedness. And our society, it, it does lean towards broad-mindedness, toleration. That's really the key word. But what we see here is that broad-mindedness, tolerance, mere tolerance, is, it doesn't fix the problem. That's not enough to just say, okay, you and I disagree on this, this, this thing of preference, and so I'm just going to tolerate. We're not going to really disagree about it. I'm just going to act like we're both right, and then we'll go our own ways. But that's not enough, because what Paul's saying here is that really both are in the wrong. Both the strong, though their, their position is right, they're in error because of how they view their position. And the weak, their position actually is wrong, but they too are in error because of how they are using their position. So I think what our society says, and I think that even it can, it can be really crept into the church as well, is that we just need to let everybody be right. Just be open-minded. Everyone has the truth. And then we just go our own ways. And we would, you know, so our society really would be intolerant of anyone who would say, my view is exclusive, which if you really scratch any deeper than the surface of any ideology or any religion, everyone is, each one is really distinct and different. And so even the, the tolerant end up looking down on the intolerant. Those who would say, what I have is exclusive, they would look down on that. So there's still a looking down of the nose. So tolerance isn't the answer. So what then is the answer? Well, we, we see the answer in this passage. We see that the answer is not simply for them to change their minds, right? Because what, what does Paul end up saying? In verse 5 of 14, he says this, at the end of it, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So you should, you should dialogue about it and land where you land on issues of preference. Land where you land and stick with it. He's not saying, okay, well, the weak need to change their mind or the strong need to change their mind. So the answer really is this simply. It's what's, what's bracketed in this section in, in the beginning of 14 and then near the end of this section in, in verse 7 of 15 is this welcome one another. Welcome one another. The idea here with, uh, with welcoming is this idea of drawing in, of opening up your circle, of making changes in your life in order to accommodate someone who has a different view than you on something. So really what, what he's calling us to do is, is to not just say, hey, we don't disagree, we're both right. No, he's saying, make a negative evaluation of the other. Be convinced in your own mind, land where you land, hash it out, but then welcome. Welcome one another. He says in other places, widen your hearts, open up your hearts for one another. I mean, Paul goes so far to say, as in 1414, that he knows that it's not wrong 
to eat meat that the gospel says that he can, but he won't if he knows that it's going to harm one of his brothers or sisters in the faith. So really what this, this, this shows us is there's, at least as he kind of lays out in this passage, there's three stages um, of the gospel taking root in our lives. The, the first stage is this, kind of the most shallow stage, is, is simply that you trust Jesus for salvation, to forgive you for your sins, but you don't see all the implications of it. So you get it, you trust him. But it hasn't sunk in really deep. But the second layer is that you see the implications. You see the freedom that you have in Christ. But you aren't willing yet to give up your freedom to accommodate the other. But then the third and final deepest level is that you see the purpose of your freedom in Christ. And that it is not for indulgence but for love. I mean, I think about... Um, so I'm a student at Beeson uh, on the campus of Sanford, and it's an uh, interdenominational school. And so uh, we've got representatives from all various denominations. Um, and, you know, I remember my first year going to chapel, walking in the chapel, and I'm not sure if you've been in there before, but, you know, it's got all these, like, busts of uh, saints and martyrs and paintings of all these saints. And, you know, I was kind of thrown off by all the, the art in there. I was like, is that allowed? Like, are, isn't that like a graven image or something? You know, it's, and then all the, the service is very high church. There's a lot of calm and response and, and just a lot of things I wasn't really comfortable with, my, things that didn't match my, my preference. And, you know, at, at, at Beeson, uh, there definitely is a totem pole when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the various denominations that are, that are represented there. And while we all agree on the basics, we, we very much so disagree on preference things. And when it's ugly, it gets ugly. Like when, when someone says that your view on something like baptism is different than mine, and therefore we, you're wrong, and you're an idiot, and we can't really honestly have fellowship or, or be friends even, it can get ugly. But when it goes well, it serves a really, really beautiful purpose. I mean, and I, I've experienced this in, in that context. When there's someone that I disagree with, very much so, on an issue of preference, and we can talk about it, land in a different place, and then have fellowship, and then be friends, and then welcome one another, accommodate one another, what it does is it highlights the unity that we actually have in Christ, it, it reminds me and show, it deepens my understanding of the beauty of the unity that we have amongst one another because of Jesus. So with this, I think there's also kind of three, three stages. If there's no negative evaluation or dialogue between preferences, um, our unity in Christ is kind of fuzzy to us. Like it's there, but we're like, I don't know what the place of... These question marks are, and so I, I know that our unity is, is found in Christ, but I don't see it really clearly. Or you have a negative evaluation of one another that causes division going apart. And what it does is it obscures the unity that we have in Christ. It says Christ is not what unifies us, but merely our preferences is what unifies us. And then we're back to the lunchroom mentality, even in the church. 
But then the third, and what we are, what really the answer is in this is that we, if we have an, it's okay to have a negative evaluation of the preference of another, but when it ends in welcoming the other, it clarifies, refocuses, and highlights that Christ is our ultimate unity. And that we only have unity because of him. So now the question becomes, this is all great, this is all fine, <clears throat> but how do we do this? When, when things creep up, when you're having a conversation w- with someone who, who is a fellow follower of Jesus, someone in this community, and you start differing on an issue, how then do you do that? How, how do you do that? How, how do you open up your heart uh, to be able to say, I differ with you, but I can welcome you into my life. I can, I can accommodate you, and I hope that you can accommodate me. How can we do this? Well, where Paul lands in chapter 15 is Christ on the cross. What do we see there? We see Christ making a negative evaluation of us, saying, you're a sinner, being against us, disagreeing with us, right? But at the same time, what is he doing? He's making room for us. He's accommodating us. So he's saying, you're wrong, but I'm welcoming you in. He makes room for us, even though we, we, we differ with him, not even on just merely a level of preference, but on a level of principle and relationship. And so it's, it's when we, we forsake these rules that we, we can make for ourselves, that we then judge others by and elevate ourselves by. It's when we forsake those rules and we look to the law of God, which we could never keep, and we all have broken, and we see that Christ kept it and fulfilled it for us. When we see him giving us his resume of perfection and righteousness and purity and cleaning us, declaring us right, when we see that, when we gain our credibility from that and not from these rules that aren't rules that we have made up for ourselves, when we get our credibility, our, our acceptability, our significance from his performance and not our performance, not from our open-mindedness, which some of us would really kind of identify with that side, or our conservativeness, which some of us would really identify with that. When we don't get our, our significance from being open-minded or conservative, when we get our credibility from and our significance from Christ and Christ alone, then we can, we can do that for anyone else. We can do that. We can, we can find out that we, we have deep differences with one another, and yet we can, instead of just going our own separate ways, we can actually see our unity in Christ clarified, brought to the surface, and then that then carry us through to love and serve one another. And so really the, the call here, how we do this is we, we bring our preferences under the gospel. We bring our preferences under the highest good of our brothers and sisters, being willing to lay those down just as Christ did for you and for me. And so as we close, I just want to read, just, just purely read uh, this passage again that has been read for us, uh, Romans 15, 1 uh, through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 
For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice tonight that you have welcomed us who were uh, not only differing with you on the level of preference, but differing with you on the level of enmity. God, we were against you. We rejected you. We rebelled against you. We wanted nothing to do with you. And yet you, you, you sent your son to, to widen his heart for us. God, we thank you that you would, you would accommodate us that you would not look at us and, and simply make a negative uh, evaluation of us and send us on our way. But God, you would, you would make a negative evaluation of us. Call us what we were, sinners, and then do something about it. That you would lay down your uh, comfort, your status, your place of simply being in ease and pleasure for our sake, for our comfort for our healing. And so God, we pray that that truth by your spirit would become real to us. That it would find its way sinking down into our hearts and filling it. Filling it with a vision of the hope that we have in you. Filling it with a vision of the the reality of your love for us in Christ. That it would so radically capture our imagination. That it would motivate us to then do the same with our brothers and sisters. So God, we we need your mercy to do this. We need your help to do this. But God, we know that you have given us all that we need for life and for godliness. And so we thank you for that. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.